It's a call that uh, will live in infamy among Iowa fans, coaches, and players, unfortunately. And we will discuss further the the latest in the postmortem of the Minnesota loss and the call that uh, turned the game around. And, of course, we will move forward from there as well because there is more to talk about concerning the Hawkeyes and a final, what is a four-game stretch in hopes of still claiming the SEC, or the <laughs> Big Ten Western Division Championship. Hawkeyes live right here at the Voice of College Football. Corey Brad, of course, here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. You should all be familiar, but if you're not, it's from the Hawkeye of the Storm where you get your Iowa football basketball coverage on a daily basis. Corey, how you doing today? Doing good, Mark. It hasn't been on a daily basis since Saturday. I've published nothing on my channel. Sa Sunday, uh, Monday, or today. Um, I guess I can partially blame the, the bye week. And then the other part of it was just having done a four-hour-and-a-half-hour show with Don after what happened Saturday. Um, being the, the Iowa fan that I am, I mean, I, I've admitted that before. I'm a fan. Um, I, I just I, I was just ready to take a reprieve <laughs> you know we're over halfway through the season and i needed a little break so we'll get some content pumping out here this week plan on having a live show um either weekend or monday somewhere in there kind of uh, launch into northwestern week um and i know we're going to talk about the call I, i've discussed it up and down i know we had a conversation you and i did with steve dace yesterday on your big 10 show um i'm guessing you're going to maybe cut that up and, and throw it up that segment on the iowa channel at some point but I've made my views pretty clear and you know, I had some people reach out to me during and after the post game show on Saturday um, that basically said, you don't know what you're talking about because you don't understand the rule. I think what people don't understand, and this is the, this is just the reality of doing a post game show minutes after a game is yes, I was not 100% clear on this obscure rule that nobody had heard of prior to Saturday night. So um, it wasn't until you know, we got some explanation on the show what the I didn't even know what the call was. In fact, I had to go back and watch that. I was like that play for people who were watching it, whether you're a member of the media or a fan. I think everybody was in such shock. I had to go back and watch the play again to see what he actually did, because I kept saying on the show he did this. He never did this. <laughs> he had one arm forward, had one arm making some sort of a motion really down here, kind of at or below shoulder length. But anyways, so no, I wasn't clear on it at first. Um, I've had multiple days now to think about um, just how I react to the whole situation because I do think that the, the call took away maybe the the one of the best player one of the best plays single plays in Iowa history. I don't think that's exaggerating. Um, was the call correct by the word of the law? Man, maybe I, I don't know. Like I, I I just think it's such an arbitrary thing. And, um, you know, I have so many questions about how uh, players and coaches are educated on rules and whose responsibility does that fall on? Um, and, you know, the term wave, what is a wave? What is not a wave? Uh, the officials use the term circular motion when describing what Cooper DeGene was doing with his left hand. Uh, then, you know, the conversation about what's reviewable, what's not reviewable. Um, it's not actually a penalty. How does the official right behind Cooper Jean not blow it dead in the moment? 
you, you ought to be able to see it in real time and make a call when you're right behind it, as opposed to a, I used the illustration yesterday of a fumble or a catch that's hard to see. You're going to have to go to review. I get that. But the fact that you can call it indisputable evidence. And then the other thing, I don't know if you saw this, Mark, but I think it was uh, the Des Moines Register, um, USA Today. They did a interview with, um, I believe it was, maybe it wasn't Tim O'Day, but it might have been um, Bill Corallo or Corallo, the the head Big Ten official or, or the leader of Big Ten officiating, I think. And uh, I'll read you the quote. You may have seen, I, I retweeted this, but it was uh, a quote from an article that Chad Leistico, the Des Moines Register, published. This was a quote from Bill, Bill Corallo. If you look at a ground video of it, you might say this doesn't look like much of a wave. But if you look at the high camera view over the top, he's actually waving. I mean, <laughs> come on, man. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? We look at the high camera view over the top. Why would we look at the high camera view over the top to identify whether a player is signaling for a fair catch? That's a stupid quote. And maybe that was just, maybe he, he shouldn't have just, maybe he shouldn't have said that. Maybe that was, it looked, I think I think it made the situation look worse. Um, but ultimately, as I said to you before we started recording here, you got to move on. And, you know, I, I'm tired of talking about it, frankly. I'm going to publish probably one more video on that whole ruling and what happened. But it's time to move on and talk about the bigger picture. This is one game, If even if you want to believe that it was stolen from Iowa, and I believe that it was. I know the players believe that it was. I had a conversation with um, Iowa D-tackle Aaron Graves last night. We'll be publishing that interview here in the coming um, day or two. And uh, he believes it was stolen. And that's fine. I, I tend to agree with him. But ultimately, as he expressed to me last night, you got to move on. It's one game that if even if it was stolen, one game that was stolen, we've got four more games left in the season. They got a chance to win the West. If they win out, I think they do win the West. But they've also got opportunities to trip up. They've got a game at Northwestern that should be a win, but it's on the road technically. It's in a kind of a weird environment in Wrigley Field. Northwestern got Minnesota a couple of weeks ago. You get Illinois at home. Illinois nearly knocked off Wisconsin. Um, you've got Nebraska on the road. That's going to be hard just because of the environment, the rivalry. They won last year. Nebraska's defense will definitely make things hard on, I'm assuming, Deacon Hill if he's still quarterbacking this offense. And, uh, of course, Rutgers is a challenge. So even though the West is not good and Rutgers isn't the cream of the crop in the East, with how Iowa plays on offense, every game is going to be probably going to be close and they're going to have a chance at winning and losing every single one of them, just like we saw Saturday. That call doesn't get made. I know you kind of debated me yesterday on, you know, I can't say with 100% definity that it would have been an Iowa win. I would go as close to 100% as possible, 99.9% .9 sure. That's how sure I am of Iowa's defense being able to hold Minnesota because Minnesota would have had to go down the field and score a touchdown. But that's the margin Iowa creates when they play this style of football with this inadequate of an offense. And I said, I made the comment prior to that play. I said, okay, they're forcing Minnesota to punt. Great. You're going to get good field position regardless. But what this team needs right now is a blocked punt or a Cooper DeGene miracle. And I don't know how he does it. I don't know how Cooper DeGene does it. I don't know how Phil Parker does it. I don't know how LeVar Woods does it. 
every single week. Tory Taylor, go down the list. It is incredible what those individuals are doing now and what a couple of those individuals have been doing for years to hold up this offense. And Kirk deserves some credit, believe me. He's a head coach. I'm not saying he deserves zero credit for this. I, I hate when people say that Kirk has been riding the coattails of Phil Parker and LeVar. I think that's a, an ill-conceived and naive comment to make. Um, I think there's a big part of winning close games that has direct correlation with head coaching and certainly responding to adversity. You made the, the mention to me yesterday, Mark, and I agree with you. If there's anybody that's going to lead their troops through an adverse moment like what we saw Saturday, it's Kirk Ferentz. And maybe it will turn into more than one loss. I hope it doesn't. But if there's anybody you trust to rally the troops and get past what we saw Saturday that became a national storyline, it's Kirk Ferentz. So um, it's incredible what, what those guys do. And at the same time, it's we, well, I'll say the same thing I said last year and the year before that and the year before that. It's such a shame that the Iowa offense cannot at least be average. Just average. I mean, at this point, we could say at least be not terrible. But if they were average, your guy, Urban Meyer, said two weeks ago on the Big Ten Network, he says if this if this program had an – this is Urban Meyer himself. If this team had an average offense, they'd be competing for national championships. That's what Urban Meyer said. So all the people that say, ah, yeah, it's not reasonable, yeah, 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 yeah. Urban Meyer made the comment, I, not me, although I've been saying it for three years. I think you've been saying it for three years. And it just continues to go back to my soapbox, which people get tired of me throwing out there, of what happens when Kirk leaves. Does Phil leave? Does LeVar go somewhere else? And if so, what a waste of a final three to four years or whatever it is with this elite level of special teams and defensive play. So that, that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I know that we've been talking about that for so long, but it's just kind of the after effects of what we saw Saturday. I think there's a few different reasons why the average college football fan and even people that know the game pretty well, or even people in the media discount what you just stated, what we've talked about and what Urban Meyer confirmed here in the last few weeks. Number one, people are enamored with offense. Iowa is the only one of its kind. We've seen others on the opposite end of the spectrum. USC currently. Uh, we've seen Oregon teams in the past. We've seen a couple of Ohio State teams somewhat in that opposite category. Oklahoma, where, oh, if they just had an okay defense, an average defense, they would probably do this, this, and that. And so there's such an aberration on the other end of the spectrum and of course, those national championship contending programs and teams that I talked about wasn't like they had the 133rd ranked defense. They had like 70th ranked defenses that you're thinking, well, at those programs, they should be much better than that. Can you imagine Iowa having people that understand stats and look at metrics and love to look at the stats? Just go to any of the, the meaningful categories on offense and just elevate Iowa to like 70. And which I guess is average, it's roughly, uh, but even even 30 spots to 100th in the nation. And it's a decided difference. Let me tell you something right now, and this is going to make some people depressed if they care at all what I have to say. If they had a top seven, if they were ranked 70th, I'd even go 80th or 90th in offense in the country. We would be sitting here right now, Mark, saying they have a legit shot at the college football playoff. 
legit. And I don't care if they lost it. They may have still lost at Penn State because that's a tough place for anybody to play. But they'd have one loss right now. And with that offense and this defense and this special special teams unit, we could see them beating Michigan, Ohio State, or Penn State in the championship game. That's conceivable. But even when they were had one loss prior to Saturday, we talked about it. But it's so inconceivable to believe that Iowa could compete with those powers with this offense. It's just, it's incredible. And Mark, we're what eight games into the season, and the season flies by. It always does. But this is exactly what we knew. You and I both knew this was going to happen. And I'm not trying to put us on a pedestal. I'm sure a lot of people made the same prediction. But when the decision was made last year to double down and not do anything with Brian Ferentz, and I'm not saying uh, I've made it clear, Brian's not the only problem here. But when that when the when the heels were dug in further, and Gary Barta bowed to the situation and allowed it to continue with this little 25 point stipulation that may not end up meeting anything, you and I both knew this was going to happen. We thought maybe the offense would be better. We thought probably that that was the glimmer of hope that I had was, hey, you're bringing in Cade McNamara. You're bringing in Eric All. Well, those two guys are gone. They're done for the season. And really, it I think it, it came down to the Cade. If we got a healthy Cade, what would this offense be? I would guess it wouldn't be dead last in the FBS. I, I don't know where it would be, but it would it would be where I would have expected it to be. Maybe a little higher, maybe a little worse, but I mean... Top 100, top 110, I know that's not good. But given where they're at and how far they are behind the next worst offense statistically, um, it's just incredible. I do think, here, here, let me just say one thing. I, I think it's sad. I heard today, was it Pat McAfee? Somebody sent me a clip from the Pat McAfee show. And I don't, for the record, I don't watch Pat McAfee. I have no, nothing against him. It's not really my style of content that I consume, but I, I understand he's huge and people... I uh, love watching his show. I guess there's an Iowa fan on his panel. And I guess he went off today on Iowa and on Deacon Hill and on the call, but on on Kirk and Brian and the quarterback situation. The comment was made, I didn't think it was possible we could get a quarterback worse than Spencer Petrus, but we did. Uh, I think that's an unfair statement to make about Deacon Hill. I just do. Um, Deacon Hill has been starting for three games. Um, you, people forget how bad, and I'm not here to rip Spencer Petrus, but go back and watch some of 2021 or 2022, how bad quarterback play was. Deacon Hill is no worse than Spencer Petrus. If anything, he's a little bit tougher because he is bigger. All right. He's been taking a beating each and every week. Now, is he getting the job done? Of course not. Not even close. Do I think they ought to entertain the idea of auditioning a couple different quarterbacks on game day? Yes. I've been saying that for so long, but I, 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 I'm, I'm not here to rip Deacon Hill. It's just, he ain't getting it done. But again, piece after piece after piece, we throw out there, Mark, and nothing works and they all suck. Or at least that's what people want to believe that they're all just garbage players. What's the common denominator. That should be my mantra. I should literally make, I should make a design for my merch store. What's the common denominator. And then have a big picture of a certain person. Uh, on the Iowa coaching staff. I, I mean, it's just it, it's just incredible to me how people think on a micro level with all of this, even though it's stretched for, this is literally year three, you could argue year four, because quarterback play was really bad in 2020 as well. Um, the difference is they ran the ball decently well in 20. So it's just incredible to me. Incredible. This is another 
research point that if we had the time to dive into it or had the staff to dive into it, I would love to compare the recruiting on the defensive side versus the recruiting on the offensive side. And let's even say that the better recruiting has been on the defensive side, but it's certainly not (laughs) egregious to, no. first of all, they are not recruiting above all the teams that we would think of. They're not recruiting better than those teams defensively. And then they are not recruiting with, Kent State, Eastern Michigan, East Carolina, Akron, Sam Houston State, who's playing its first year in the FBS. They were not recruiting at that level offensively. Um, yeah, one disclaimer to add to your Cade McNamara portion in this is they they have endured an inordinate amount of injuries on that side of the ball. They've lost two of the best tight ends, one one of the best in the country. The other one, I would say, is is right there in that category. One of the best in the Big Ten, certainly, and Eric All, Luke Lachey, obviously the other. And the the two running backs for a series of, of games early in the Big Ten schedule. So the, there is that. But other I teams know. overcome what, those, hey, those issues. At what point do we say, well, yeah, but this is the same thing we've had for three straight years. Oh, I agree. I, I'm just... Stop. Just bringing that to light. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. By the way, just want to bring this to light. You're talking about recruiting. If anybody wants to doubt what you just said about offensive recruiting, and I don't have numbers in front of me to to uh, compare how Iowa has done um, as far as recruiting defensive players versus offensive players. But to give you one example, people are right now so – discouraged by the play of Deacon Hill and they've been so discouraged by the play of Spencer Petrus. Why can't we get better players? I just want to make clear, like Deacon Hill was committed to Fordham. All right. Let's that's, that's a fact. He was committed to Fordham after he left Wisconsin. So that, that is a fair thing to bring up, but Deacon Hill was, uh, had offers out of high school from UCLA, from Wisconsin, from Kansas State, Spencer Petrus had offers out of high school from uh, Nebraska, from Cal, from uh, Oregon State, from Syracuse, San Diego State. I mean, not necessarily powers, but power five programs. I, I just, it just seems odd to me that all these guys end up coming here and all of them suck. All of them aren't good. I mean, what, what? You know, Alex Alex Padilla, he's not playing at all at SMU. He he had a decent offer. Let's get an offer from Georgia. And I know they throw a lot of offers out there. Hopefully we will get uh, Corey back here rather soon. I don't know if he's seeing that he's having feed issues right now. Appreciate everyone being here at the Voice of College Football. This is what Corey and I do each and every Tuesday. Get together to talk Iowa football with all of you, 4.30 Central Time. And, of course, join Corey each and every day from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Let's get to your comments and questions and wait for Corey to make it back. Yeah, the second half performance, especially by the Iowa offense, uh, three for 15 after three for 15. 
uh, for Deacon Hill in the second half for 20 yards after a, a decent first half. Yeah, we got you back, Corey. Mark, at what point do we just say, yeah, we don't recruit very well um, offensively? Yeah, we don't recruit great defensively. We, we don't recruit well. We need to recruit better, sure. But what a point do we just admit we don't know how to develop the quarterback position? We just don't. We don't know how to do that. We didn't do it well before with Ken O'Keefe. And you could argue that it was done decently well under Greg Davis. Heck, Jake Rudock and C.J. Beathard, along with Cody Sokol, who had a pretty good darn good career down at uh, Louisiana Tech, those guys were part of the Greg Davis era. Say what you want about his offense. Those guys, you could argue, were developed at quarterback. What did you do about the problem? You, you, you had Ken O'Keefe part of the staff. Quarterbacks were always said to kind of digress under him or regress. Uh, then you, had, uh, you brought Ken O'Keefe back right? Uh, Brian has moved to OC. You bring O'Keefe back. And again, same story. Like people aren't getting any better. Nate Stanley didn't get any better. I mean, there was a, a comment. Who was it that brought it up? I think it was during the postgame show. Um, a fan brought this, r- reminded me of this. There was a comment made by somebody with the Minnesota Vikings when Nate Stanley got to Minnesota fresh out of college that indicated that Nate basically admitted that they never worked on fundamentals at Iowa passing fundamentals, footwork, that kind of stuff. That's Nate Stanley saying that. A three-year starter who was a pretty darn successful three-year starter. But he never really got better. Some of his best numbers were put up in 2017. Yeah. He was okay in 18. He was okay in 19. But yeah, I wouldn't argue he was any better. Spencer Peters wasn't any better. Was he better in 22 than he was in, in 21 or 20? And I don't anticipate Deacon Hill will be any better in 2024 if he sticks around and plays than he is this year. So I, I I just, at what point do we just admit we don't know what we're doing with quarterbacks? And that's why it's so ludicrous. We go back to the original, the, the, the thing that happened, what was it? Uh, I don't remember when it happened now. year and a half ago, promoting Brian Ferentz to quarterbacks coach. It's like saying, we got a huge problem here. We're just going to complicate it. We're just going to make it a bigger problem. That's all it was. That's all it was. That problem didn't even come down to Brian prior to last year. You you know, Mark, I'm, I went on this show and criticized Ken O'Keefe up and down because he was a QB's coach. Now you've put the guy who is already facing tons of scrutiny, Brian Ferentz, who's never played quarterback, was a, a center coming out, of high, coming out of college and in the league, had never coached quarterbacks. You have him coaching quarterbacks, coaching quarterbacks. So what do they do? They bring in John Budmeyer this past year as a analyst, even though people have said that he's really the quarterback's coach. Well, uh, he doesn't seem to be helping that much, although he's not been there long enough to maybe really tell on a grand scale. But it all comes back to the fact that Brian Ferentz has been, was named the quarterback's coach when he's not really the quarterback's coach and he doesn't know how to coach quarterbacks is a huge problem. I don't know what's the, I don't know. I I really anymore, Mark, I don't know what the biggest problem is with the offense. I don't. Well, with that position, you just addressed, we're talking about a program that brings in through television as much revenue as the top. How many teams are in the big 10 top 14 teams in the country. And that is only going to skyrocket next year. Therefore, I would think, that there are 
excellent, exceptional at the top of the industry, quarterback coaches out there who would relish the challenge of going somewhere like that. And Kirk saying, hey, we need help, obviously, develop our quarterbacks. They're not interested. <laughs> they are not. We, we had this discussion, uh, what was it, uh, a year and a half ago. And I won't, I won't drop the name. People have heard me talk about it. But you and I both know, based on results, one of the best quarterback coaches, I think, in college football was interested in the Iowa job when Ken O'Keefe walked away. Iowa told him no. They're not interested. They're not interested. I, I don't know what else to say. They're, they're not interested. I can tell you that with 100% authority that a really big, really good name quarterbacks coach wanted the Iowa job, was interested in the Iowa job. Iowa didn't even interview him, told him, no, Brian's going to be our quarterbacks coach. That's a fact. So I get it. I get it when people say, I'm ready for this Kirk Ferentz era to be done. He's been here 24 years. I'm ready to move on. And I don't blame him. I don't blame them. But it's really hard to say that when your team is 6-1. and one. It's very hard to say that. Very hard to have these conversations, Mark. Because there will be the people that just, I mean, they just get volatilely angry at the fact that you're criticizing a team that's 6-1. and one. In fact, there's probably people out there, Mark, who are angry that we're criticizing a team who, and a staff that's 6-2. and two. They don't care about the numbers. They have been modeled they have been um formed like a like a like a potter shaping a, a piece of clay to align their thinking with the kirk ferentz philosophy it is we don't care about stats we care about wins well eventually those stats are going to translate into wins or into losses and we saw that saturday when you create a margin even against a mediocre minnesota team when you create that thin of a margin eventually it's going to bite you in the butt. And we didn't know if it would. We, we thought there was a possibility they get to 11 and one or 10 and two. And they still might get to 10 and two. Um, and if we want to really live in la la land, let's bring up what I brought up to you yesterday in the, on the big 10 show. They went out and then destroy Ohio state in the big 10 championship game or destroy Penn state or destroy Michigan in the big 10 championship game. Could Iowa have a stake to the playoff? It could say, hey, we're 10 and 2, 11 and 2, Big Ten champions with a really dominant win over a power. And uh, Mr. or Mrs. College Football Playoff Chair person, uh, we should have won that Minnesota game. Go back and look at the tape. So, really, we should be 12 and 1, Big Ten champs. With an, they could do that, but that's living in la la land, Mark. You and I both know that's living in a fantasy land, that's living in a fairy land. And. You know, we can have those conversations. Maybe we can tickle the ears of Iowa fans. But if there's anybody that's really that disconnected with reality, maybe this isn't the place to be. You're right about the wins and losses making it difficult for us to make a point. Although for anyone who understands football and how the game's played and that you need three functional units, offense, defense, special teams, typically. Now, they can't all be the same or all exceptional or any of that. And we're not asking for that but this team was seven and five in the regular season last year it's not like they are knocking on the door of a big 10 championship every year so 
they are struggling, not struggling. They are having their seasons in which they are not contending for a championship. And that, that defense last year certainly could contend for a Big Ten championship or win a Big Ten championship with a capable offense or a less terrible offense. I think that defense could win a national championship. That defense was oh, good sure. yeah, on a national scale. Yeah. Um, you know, think that, that that defense had guys like Jack Campbell, who's as a rookie is doing really, really well uh, as a linebacker for the Lions. It had Sam Laporta, who as a rookie is doing really well for the Detroit Lions. Riley Moss, you know, that was actually, there was some talent on that team, even on offense, there was some talent on that team. But anyways, um, and I was just thinking, and I need to probably publish some content. Maybe this isn't the time of the year to do it, Mark. But it would be interesting to break down the uh, enabling factors of the situation at Iowa, whether you want to call it nepotism or not. But for, for this perfect storm to occur, there has had to be multiple factors, a number of enabling factors at play that have lasted several years. And if you want, we can we can do a little draft. We can do a little uh, uh, voice of college football draft right now, Mark. You pick an enabling factor, then I pick an enabling factor. And I bet you we could get to the first round because, well, number one would be on the board, right? Number one on the board, Kirk Ferentz's 24-year tenure or, you know, last year's his 23-year tenure, 22-year tenure. That in itself gives him power that a lot of coaches wouldn't have beyond – you know, you know, be able to per- deal with the situation, just like it gave him power in 2020 when there were some allegations against him and his staff for him to just to get rid of Chris Doyle and they move on. And of course, the second enabling factor would be the Big Ten West schedule. You know, this year it's at an all time low, but the schedule, the division has enabled the situation at Iowa. It has enabled it because the fact of the fact that they can win games, enough games course a third factor enabling factor would be the donors honestly you could probably blame frank lauderer or uh, bob cummings those guys are enabling factors because the old timers that have the money they go back and they say well Corey, you weren't alive back in 1965 and you don't remember what it was like to go out to kinnick and get win one win a year you know that's that's the mindset so that's an enabling factor uh, having an AD like Gary Barda has long been an enabling factor. Now, that factor may be gone, but is it possible that now having an interim AD, uh, someone who's new to the job, could become the new enabling factor? <laughs> think about that, Mark. I, I don't know that to be the case, but just think about that for a second. Just think about how many enabling factors there are among all of this. And, of course, cherry on top, you have supreme coaching performances by your DC and by your special teams coach over the course of how many years now. And some of that, you know, obviously again, credit goes to Kirk Ferentz for identifying those guys and uh, putting them in positions and keeping the retaining those guys. I've said that in the past, but it's just amazing how, uh, how many different enabling factors there are with the situation. I think you need to get on that. That was, that was a good rundown. The one I missed was the fan base, right? Just the fan base in general. They still, you know, they sold out the season, what, in June or July 
after everybody was so upset that Brian was kept on staff and they sell out the games in June or whatever it was. <laughs> so, what do you expect? What do you, what do you expect? Currently Utah is the 100th ranked offense in college football. The Utah team that just beat USC at the Coliseum Saturday night and put up 34 points. And so Utah has not only lost its starting quarterback, but its backup quarterback and has been playing with a third string quarterback. And they've been playing with a converted defensive back as their best running back uh, because they had injuries there. And look at the difference just to go from 133 where Iowa is to 100, which again, most people, 100th offense in the country, they're awful. They would have to improve by 113 yards per game. And anytime we deal with averages, folks, I don't think it sinks in with a lot of people. That's an enormous disparity because that's every game, every game, every game, an average of 113 from 232 to 345 in total offense per game. And we're talking about a team that's played Florida, Oregon State, USC, UCLA. So they've played a tough schedule and they average exactly one yard per play more than Iowa. That's a lot. That's a, that's significant. One yard, one full yard per play. Utah and Iowa are 130 yards is difference. 133. Okay, 133 times I'm sorry. eight. Huh? I'm sorry, 113. 113 times eight. That's 900 more yards that Utah State has in the season, assuming both have played eight games. Maybe Utah State, Utah's got to buy. But anyways, uh, yeah, 900 more yards on the season. That is a lot. <laughs> Think about that. That's like, well, how many games is that for Iowa? How many games would they need to get to 900 yards? They'd need almost there. four, just under four games. Think about that. It's a third of the season just to get to that mediocre level. Remember what I said preseason, Mark, and this didn't pan out because we didn't see Cade McNamara in play. And I, I said earlier today they would be better with Cade McNamara, but I made the comment that Cade McNamara was going to disappoint a lot of Iowa fans. Because there were some Iowa fans that just thought, well, he's going to be the solution. And yeah, they're not going to be top 50, but they'll be top 60 or 70. They were never going to be top 60 or 70. Cade was not going to make them that good. Okay. Not Cade McNamara. Now, maybe he, maybe he can, maybe he would have put them on the same level of like a Utah. That might have been a reasonable expectation. But man, what we've seen is so much different. And, uh, you know, really the narrative that I've been pushing here since Saturday. And again, who cares what I push, what narratives I push. But I asked Don Patterson the question, and I asked Tom Caker the question, because Tom, you know, been on the beat forever and, uh, you know, does a really good job for on three with HawkeyeReport.com. And I asked him the question after the game. I said, uh, you know, obviously, Kirk, he responds the way he responds when asked about potentially making a change at quarterback. But I looked at Tom and I said, Tom, what is – and Don was with us. I said, what is – the problem, why is Kirk so obstinate? Why is he so stubborn about not even uh, being determined to not even give another quarterback a series? We're not even asking him. We're not making asking for a change. I'm not asking for a change. I'm not asking them to start Joe Labus or start Marco Linez. Give one of those guys a series, a series. And the only the only uh, defense that Kirk would have had a little over a week ago was, and he, he made the defense after the Wisconsin game is, 
We just won a game by nine on the road at Wisconsin, and Deacon didn't turn the ball over. That's the defense. But what did Deacon do on Saturday? He turned the ball over. Not once, not twice, but three times. So what are we gaining just going with what we have? And I think the idea is, and I've heard this from people in Iowa, they've said these very words, that the way Kirk and, and this staff look at the offense, especially when it comes to quarterback play and being creative, is they don't feel the need to be good, kind of good at a bunch of little things. They'd rather master one thing. So they don't want to throw a bunch of quarterbacks out there because they'd rather just work at getting this quarterback and the way we play here proficient first. Well, we've been working on that aspect of things for years and nothing's happening. <laughs> so sometimes you got to be a little creative, Mark. And I bring up the example of Jeff Brom. And yeah, Brom's offense was, you know, Really good, even with one quarterback. But in 2021, they came into Iowa City, played three different quarterbacks, did it masterfully, and put a killing down on the Hawkeyes. Well, maybe common sense would tell you, hey, like this guy's a pretty good offensive mind over at Purdue, and we got spanked. We got spanked with a wooden handle two years ago in our own stadium against this guy with three different quarterbacks in his roster. Maybe we could think about having a few plays ready, even if it's not Cooper DeGene that you use in a Wildcat, which we've talked about. Bring in Joe Labus for a series. Even bring in the true freshman, Marco Linez. Could you imagine how – I mean, I, I literally believe you would have medics all over Kinnick Stadium on Saturday or the Saturday that this happened because people's minds would literally blow up if they saw Marco Linez go out there for even one play. That's how far-fetched the idea is in the Iowa City climate. And yet with other programs, including Don Patterson's offenses of yesteryear, they played multiple quarterbacks. Hayden Fry, there were times where they played multiple quarterbacks because they wanted to see what each of them could do against equal competition. <laughs> we could do an hours-long podcast on this, Mark. It is a fascinating topic that just seems to perpetuate itself over and over and over each and every week. And we will have fun this off season dissecting not only what has transpired and I guess we're not, we can't anticipate any changes, but proposed changes, I guess, by us. And then looking forward to two of the, new entries into the Big Ten on the schedule, I believe. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> oh. Regardless of what happens with Brian and what happens with Kirk at the end of this year, and here's our here's our glass half empty approach. We will be I will be whether I like it or not, whether I want to or not, I will look back at the years 2021, 2022 in 2023, and I will say, holy cow, if only, if only. You're talking about three years that Iowa should absolutely have won the West. Now, they may win it still two of the three years. That's what's crazy about it. But you're talking about a potential to win a couple of Big Ten championships in there. I mean, the defense is ready for that. The special teams unit's ready for that. You have a couple of average, you have an average offense. They could compete with some of these powers. I don't care what people say on that. The defense is that good. Um, I've never seen a program elevated by punting like Iowa. 
It's amazing. People make fun of it, Mark, but you've watched Iowa games. Like you watch Saturday, you watch the game in Madison. Iowa controls the game with Tory Taylor. And it's just, and Cooper DeGene is the gunner and just everything that Iowa does with those units. So we'll always look back there and say, man, that was an opportunity to make the playoff. It was an opportunity to win a Big Ten title, but we never really sniffed a Big Ten title. And 21, because those two units, I'm sorry, those two units that you just mentioned between Tory Taylor and the, the coverage unit, Cooper DeGene in particular as the gunner, and the defense, they they work together. So there are other Tory Taylor's the very best at what he does. And and I am not a punning guy. I'm I'm not out there. Uh, but I think we we all recognize that. But it's accentuated. His value is accentuated by the defense. Because there are all sorts of games that you can go to by other teams where they're their punters knocking the ball out of bounds at the three yard line. And it doesn't matter because the offense from the other team starts gaining first downs, first downs, first downs. Well, most of the time Iowa locks it down right there. And therefore they've created a situation where their, their offense, the Iowa offense can start at plus territory or roughly the 50. And they have, they have created a situation. Was it early in the Penn state game? right? That they got a punt down at the goal line in Penn state. I don't, I don't remember. Well, they did it. They did it Saturday against Minnesota. They did where yeah. oh, that was beautiful. Her shoulder. Oh, at the yeah. That was, you know, thing of beauty. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was just, yeah. Incredible. Just textbook. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do yeah. that? I don't even know how you do that. How you yeah, possibly spin a ball that way and track a ball that way. Yeah. And just, Yeah. Because we we see all sorts of uh, gunners on teams who are fast and all of that, but they just race down there and then they lose track of the ball or they make a mistake or kick it or. But yeah, that was that was athleticism. Um, can we can we put up a comment from uh, from sure. Pat? So I guess Rick in the chat made a comment about Labus not being very good. He'd rather see the true freshman. Of course, he's talking about Marco Linez. Mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to seeing either one of those guys. Um, obviously, I think most of us acknowledge the fact that Kirk's not going to put in a true freshman, even though I think that would just be so good for the program. I really do believe that. Um, let me find the comment here from Pat. Um, where is the comment from Pat? Here it is. He says, I thought Marco looked good in the open practice. Joe Labus could be used to run the ball. Um, so the only response I'd have to that, Pat, and thank you for the comment, Pat. I think people don't realize how mobile Marco Linez is. Because for the last two years, we've heard about how mobile Joey Labus was. And, and, you know, he's mobile. He's more mobile than anybody Iowa's had in recent years. More mobile than Deacon Hill or Petrus or McNamara or certainly Alex Padilla. But I think Marco's more mobile than all those guys. And I don't think people quite realize how mobile he is, uh, how quick on his feet he is. Um, I don't know that he's ready to be a Big Ten quarterback. Obviously, we always hear about how hard the Iowa offense is to learn and the playbook and all this nonsense. But there is a learning curve. He didn't enroll early. He got here in the summer. But just I, I just would I'll put that little birdie in people's ears because the kid is an athlete. And um that's not just going by off what Marco has told me. That's going from what I know has occurred during summer and fall camp. Um, and I mean, 
I think some people saw a little of that during the open practice, but that's a tiny window, tiny glimpse into what's happening during, during August. Um, and I have no doubt that they, you know, that they could figure out something, some way to utilize that young man. And guess what, Mark, how many, how many games can a true freshman play and maintain his eligibility? Four. Four. How many games left does Iowa have on the schedule? <laughs> I believe it's four. Hmm. Well, hmm. that would be a great question for Kirk Ferentz during the bye week. And and I, I, I we could probably guess what he'd say, but I'd love to be. And I don't think we're going to get Kirk over Zoom, or I would absolutely ask him this question. But I'd love to ask Kirk. Hey, you guys are struggling at quarterback. I'm not asking about making a change, but. With four games remaining, you got a freshman in Marco Linez, who is an athlete at a position you're struggling at, position you're specifically struggling with mobility. Is there a way you could get him on the field for a few plays a game? A few plays a game? And if he shows you enough stuff, get him on the field a little bit more? Or are we going to revert back to we don't want to play backyard football, which was a quote from Brian Ferentz, what, two years ago? No. Don't mean to put you on the spot because this would take a a mind uh, beyond either one of us to track. But are there occasions in which you can think of in which starting players? So in week one, there's a starting lineup. There's a depth chart. Take injuries out of it. There's a starting lineup where any of those players have lost their starting position because of poor play. Uh, just in any position on the Iowa team? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Many times. Okay. Many times. Just not a quarterback. That's the that's the double standard that a lot of fans see. We've seen how many times have we seen Phil Parker pull a cornerback over the years? I remember in two thousand, I want to say it was seventeen, Phil Parker pulled and I hope I get the corners right. Forgive me if I don't. I believe he pulled Michael Ojemudia. And who was the other corner in that game? Um, well, I don't remember. But he pulled two corners in that game. I think brought in freshman Matt Hankins, I think. But he pulled two cornerbacks. I believe it was on the same drive, the same Purdue drive, Mark. He just yanked him. All right, this ain't working. Get out. You're out there. And whoever it was, when I think it was like Hankins, he's a freshman. Now, I know quarterback's different than cornerback. I get that. But that has happened. Yes, it's happened. It doesn't happen at quarterback. And they rotate guys in at the offensive line. I understand they've been a little bit more stable there this year. But as they've struggled over the last three to four years, they've had to rotate guys in. Guys don't play well. They put someone else in. And yet, and yet, those guys, uh, you know, at quarterback, there's no doesn't seem like there's any emphasis on in-game performance. Now, Kirk said after the game Saturday that they weigh both in-game performance with practice. But it clearly, to the, to the average fan, it appears that they put almost all the emphasis on what they see in practice. At least that's what, I mean, we're basing that on what, what they say is happening in practice. Apparently, Joe Labus and Marco Linez show themselves. I think, I don't know that, that Ferentz would say anything about Linez from a practice standpoint because... He just got there. It's pro he would probably revert back to he just got here. He doesn't know the playbook, etc. That's why I said one or two plays. Get a couple of plays for him ready prior to Northwestern. 
But uh, it is a bit of a double standard. And frankly, we've seen running backs fumble the ball and get pulled over the years. So, you know, I mean, we saw, honestly, I thought we saw LaShawn Williams in a bit of a doghouse. Think about how well LaShawn Williams has played over the last month, Mark. He got, I believe, one carry against Iowa State. One. He'd fumbled earlier in the year. So there, it's just amazing to me. Um, it's a great point, and it, they just look at it in a totally different light. We talk Hawkeyes football with all of you here at the Voice of College Football every Tuesday with Corey. Catch him at uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm and then make it on back here each and every Tuesday at 4.30 Central Time. And also keep in mind that if you want to hear the audio version of this conversation, uh, this is recorded and posted at from the Hawkeye of the Storm audio platforms. So any of your major audio platforms, you can listen to the audio version of this uh, conversation each and every week. Mark, what would you do? If, I saw that comment from Ed in the chat. Cooper should play wide receiver in the NFL. And by the way, he's not going to do that. That would be one of the biggest shocks to me, given what he brings at defensive back. But could you imagine he gets drafted by someone and ends up being some great receiver in the NFL? Could you imagine what that would make Iowa look like? I mean, it wouldn't reflect badly on Phil Parker and on the defense, but... <laughs> With all the struggles they have on offense. It's sort of odd that Parker Hesse, Mark, remember Parker Hesse, former yes. defensive end at Iowa? Yeah. He's playing tight end for the Falcons. That's right. I mean, that's a kind of an odd storyline. Uh -huh. It tight. is. A little bit different, but that's sort of an odd storyline. wonder if there's been any thought given to, well, I know that you've given this thought and because you, I believe, have tossed it out here and then probably had a little bit uh, further of a conversation with Don Patterson about Cooper Jean coming in on offense and getting him the ball out in space. Oh, we've talked about that. Yes. If you're Mark, struggling that much on offense, get the best athlete on your roster. You don't need to wear him down. They've asked that that question has been asked and the response has been with all the snaps he plays on defense, with all the snaps he plays on special teams. We don't want to give him any more of a workload. He has said publicly that he's he'd be willing to play offense. He has said that publicly. Um, and I know that those conversations were had behind closed doors during the offseason off leading up to the bowl game against Kentucky. And yet, Iowa sent out Sam Laporta toward the end of the Music City Bowl and ran him as a Wildcat quarterback. And by the way, he was fresh off of a, a leg injury. When they did that, that was his final game as a Hawkeye. He ended up getting drafted by the Lions. They ran him as a Wildcat quarterback. Let me remind you something too, Mark. Cooper DeGene was a quarterback in high school. So, hmm. Go back to 2020 for a second. When they ran that Wildcat stuff that actually worked here and there because the offensive line played well in 2020. And they had good production with guys like Makai Sargent and Tyler Goodson, Smith Marset, and Tyrone Tracy and these guys but they actually played some wildcat. Now they have a guy who's a former quarterback, the best athlete on the team. One of, if not the best athletes in the big 10, no, obviously not going to challenge him against Marvin Harrison jr. A couple other great athletes in this conference, but he's really, really good. Sure. Really, really athletic guy who has a background background as a passing as a passer back in high school. They were running a wildcat with a guy in Tyler Goodson, who was a true running back. Imagine running some wildcat with a guy who was a threat to throw 
or if you run him out wide and he's a threat on a double pass. And there's just so much you could do if you had a creative mind and a creative approach to offense, but they don't. They don't. I would play him something in the range of five to eight plays per game, not give him too much to do either physically or to grasp in the playbook. Just say, this is where we're going to put you generally, maybe in the two slot positions, you know, we'll eventually get you there. Maybe we may line you up uh, in the backfield and then put you in motion to the slot to make people see how the defense reacts and just do some things to see how the defense alignment reacts and toss him the football in space. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've brought up the back in uh, 2016 when Iowa's offense was struggling under Greg Davis, not to this point, but they were struggling. And, um, you know, people wanted to see Desmond King on offense. And Desmond King was not the athlete that Cooper Gene is. He's a good athlete, no doubt, doubt about it. And he was a good punt returner, kick returner. And Iowa never did anything then. So I don't have any expectation that they'll do it now. With being even more reliant on the defense and Cooper DeGene. Another topic that we will certainly dive into, and it will become known in the offseason, is how many players will be lost off this defense. But this should, again, be a top-notch unit again next season, we would think. They'll be very good next year. And they're going to face a couple, two additional difficult offenses to face that they're unfamiliar with. And the offenses are unfamiliar with them as defenses. I I would just love to see this team line up. And, and we saw them against Ohio State last year. So we, we saw what they could do against what was an elite offense. It's not this year in Columbus, but uh, there and as we were looking at the uh, offensive rankings nationally, it is a big defensive year in the Big Ten. The highest ranked offense in the in the Big Ten is Ohio State at thirty nine nationally. Michigan's not higher than that. They're at forty seven. Wow! It yeah. is that Ohio State taking that big of a step back? Yeah, the offensive line has struggled until the last couple of weeks. They they've had better weeks the last two against uh, Penn State and Purdue, and uh, the quarterbacks coming along, but they've not been nearly as explosive as they used to be. But you know they were top two or three offense every year for however many years, uh, and Penn State's been really high in past years with Sean Clifford at quarterback. They've been a top ten to fifteen offense, and Maryland's been a top thirty offense in Michigan. Uh, a lot of new quarterbacks in the league this year. Yeah. Across the board. And uh, so I think that probably accounts for some of it. All right, folks, we appreciate you being here. Make it on back next Tuesday, 4.30 Central Time, and we will preview the Northwestern game. And as we get closer to the stretch drive, or we're in the stretch drive, of course, the calculations and scenarios become rather interesting and intriguing. But right now there's a lot of teams in the mix. <laughs> Wisconsin controls its own destiny with only one loss, but they are a, I believe 15 point underdog at home against Ohio state on Saturday. Uh, but I'm not counting that one up for the Buckeyes quite yet. I, I think that there will be a test there and I will not be surprised if it's a possible upset. But Mordecai's out, isn't he? 
Yes. Yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing a one-dimensional Wisconsin uh, offense winning, but we'll see. All right, folks, we appreciate you being here. Catch you next week. Make it on back here. Bring a friend with you or two or five or 10 or 50, and uh, we will talk Hawkeyes football next Tuesday with you. And uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm, in the meantime, each and every day.